In a shocking hate crime at Shawnee Mission East High School, and this is in Kansas City, a Black girl and student was viciously, viciously attacked by a white male student. The assault left her hospitalized with a broken nose, and in a disturbing turn of events, the victim, the Black student, was actually suspended from school. Now, we have learned some other details about this story, some of which are, are pretty shocking. And we've learned these details because the editor and founder of the Kansas City Defender, Ryan Sorrell, broke the story. I'm so happy he's joining us here today to give us all of those details. And also, Professor David Eichard, good friend of the show, is here. He's a professor of African-American studies at Vanderbilt, uh, wanted to have both of you on, obviously, Ryan, for you to break this story down to us, and Professor Eichhardt, for you to help us understand how these kinds of attacks against Black folks are so pervasive and prevalent, so much so that they barely even make the news anymore. So thank you, uh, Ryan, and thank you, Professor Eichhardt, for joining me in this hour. I want to start with you, Ryan. Just give us the details of what happened, and again, thank you for covering this in your local press, uh, because I just feel like these kinds of stories don't get enough attention in the national media. Absolutely. Well, first off, thank you all so much for inviting me onto the show. Uh, this incident actually took place last week, even though the news came out this week, but the incident took place last week when a 15-year-old uh, Black girl at Shawnee Mission East High School confronted a white girl who had been calling Black students the N-word, and she was also calling them slaves. And so Bree truly courageously uh, and nonviolently uh, confronted this white student in the hallway and was asking her, did you say these things? Why would you say these things? And uh, the girl was kind of trying to deny that she said it, even though there were multiple witnesses when she had said these things. And so eventually Bree and, and the white girl kind of just walk away from each other and they're walking to opposite ends of the hallway. And there is a, a, a white male student who essentially just yells all the way down the hallway and tells Bree to shut the F up. And Bree turns around and says, who said that? And this white kid says, me, N-word, me. And then begins to charge at Bree and pushes her violently. And then essentially uh, a brawl kind of breaks out and then he ends up uh, really just violently assaulting her and ultimately breaking her nose and hospitalizing her and traumatizing her. And uh, there has certainly been uh, a lot of outrage from the community here. I actually just right now returned from a protest that the students, uh, the students from that school, as well as the Black Student Solidarity Network, which is a coalition of Black students from across uh, numerous schools across Missouri and Kansas who have been victims of hate crimes like this. They came together and have organized across schools and across school districts to organize a protest today. Uh, but there has definitely been a major response in our community to this. Well, thank you uh, so much, Ryan, uh, for your coverage of this and bringing us up to speed in terms of the protest, because I had read that there had been uh, a protest from some of the students uh, at the high school uh, that then actually there was a walkout with and students were holding signs that said, you know, protect black women and protect students of color. Did you cover that walkout of the students at Shawnee Mission East? We did. Yes. Yeah. We uh, really a lot of our reporting comes directly from students and they just send us information as it's happening. 
because we're a very small team. And so oftentimes the students will actually be uh, really our reporters from inside of their school. That's how we broke the story in the first place. And so we were able to cover that walkout uh, that way because they were sending us video and photos as it was happening. So I, I want to give kudos to my uh, producer, Avi Bernard, for finding you and finding this story. Uh, I hadn't read about it. I read a gazillion newspapers every day throughout the day. Uh, has this st- story been covered in the the what I'll call the mainstream press in Kansas? Uh, it, it's been covered by, I would say, the majority of the legacy, the white news outlets, uh, local news outlets in the area. I know that the Daily Beast is also covering it. Uh, I believe the Daily Mail has also covered it, but I don't think that it's been covered by a lot of the other major news outlets yet. And so I would bring you in the conversation, Dr. Eichard. When you hear about these stories, I don't know, is it the fact that stories against Black folks like this, these kinds of vicious attacks, physical attacks, you know, verbal attacks, is it that they are so pervasive? Is that why we don't hear more about them? Because right now in this country, we hear every day major stories about anti-Semitism that's happening on college campuses, uh, Islamophobia that's rampant. But this is classic hate towards a Black student. And yet we had to go digging deep in California to find this story in Kansas City. You know, it's a, you know, first of all, thanks for, for, for having me on your show. It's always an enlightening and illuminating um, experience because you certainly don't mince your words and you <laughs> always are bringing us a fresh, informed perspective on things that uh, a lot of times don't get the type of attention, the critical attention, national attention that they they warrant. So I want to first um, thank you say that. Um, but I think one of the reasons is that um, for so long and continuing to this very moment, um, Black folks have been the scapegoat of white America when it comes to morality, when it comes to education, when it comes to health care. You know, we're the the boogeyman of America. Ralph Ellison once wrote that when white immigrants, one of the first words that they learn when they come to America is nigger because it makes them feel instantly American, right? Mm. Um, You know, pretty provocative, right? Uh, a statement, but it, there's a lot of truth to that statement. And and I want to kind of even further contextualize that in terms of what we just witnessed um, with this violent assault, because I saw it for the first time when I when you guys sent me um, the link and I was just kind of stunned at, you know, this this white kid is, you know, at least 30 to 40 pounds heavier. He is in fact a man. He's standing over this young woman's head by four or five inches. Mm-hmm. And he and he comes in prepared to do physical violence. Um, it's very clear from her interactions with these earlier students that she's being verbal. She's not missing her words. She's not backing down, but she's not being physical. She's mm-hmm. not threatening in any kind of physical way. She's not 
saying that she's going to hit anybody. She's trying to hold people verbally accountable. Um, and when he enters the fray, he enters it with a very intentional, violent intent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and it's striking that when he pushes her and initiates the violence, and she defends herself. Whenever you know, again, this this is a this is a a, a big dude who's who's swinging at this um, young woman who is at least thirty pounds um, smaller, five or six inches shorter. And a woman, right? And after they pull him away, he's screaming, well, she hit me first, right? When clearly you have the video in which he's the one that ran up on her and pushed her and started the whole kind of, right, violent altercation. Um, And and I find that to be striking that in the midst of the violence that he invited, his, right, reflex is to somehow blame her for what he just did to her. Her, right. Right? Now, if we were to take the same scenario and that little black girl is replaced by a white girl and that dude that ran up on her is a black dude, this is all over the press. Mm-hmm. They're talking about throwing this dude in jail. Mm-hmm. They're talking about like, he's an animal. How could he right? How could he be striking this like innocent girl who raised this monster, you know, put the handcuffs on him, throw away the key. Everybody, you got politics. Biden would be having an emergency press conference talking about school violence and how we have to address this, right? If you change the bodies mm-hmm. of the, these actors in this, right, these agents here, the response would be radically different. Mm-hmm. And that right there should tell you all you need to know about what's going on here in this particular scenario and how our country decides who is a true victim worthy of protection and who is not. Yeah. And that's such great points, uh, Professor. And Ryan, I do want to ask you, since you guys have covered this, you interviewed, I presume, witnesses. Are the witness stories consistent that Bree did not attack this white kid, that she did confront as you said, she did use her words, as the professor said, but she did not strike at him, that he was the aggressor. Is that confirmed, Ryan, from the interviews that you have done or your, your newspaper have has done? Yes, absolutely. That's we, We've interviewed Bree herself. We've spoken with the young woman who was filming the violent incident. We spoke to her best friend, who is the one who's been organizing these protests on her behalf, who was also present that day. And all of them uh, have the same story, essentially. And they have said that they had actually tried to report that same white student on multiple occasions to the administration and that the administration did not act on it. So this was not the first time with this specific student, which that specific student also has two or three prior violent charges against him. And so these these students have been saying that he was a threat to them. And we also just published on our uh, Instagram page yesterday where we do a lot of our publishing at. We published an audio clip that he sent to his friends that they leaked to us where he said he wanted to go back up to the school and he would put hands on anybody who had anything to say about it. And he used the N word again. And this was all after 
he had already been suspended. This was after the incident. He said he wanted to go back up to the school again. And so I think that this is really negligence on violent negligence on behalf of the school. And even at this point where we have the videos and we can see with our own eyes what happened, the school is still in their responses to parents. They're sending out emails saying, uh, don't believe the misinformation that you see on social media and really trying to downplay it. And well, what, what, misinf- what I'm sorry, if you know what misinformation is out there that the school is making reference to. Uh, honestly, I'm not even sure because uh, the school to this point in, in none of their statements have they directly condemned what took place. Essentially, all they're saying is we are going through a process. We We condemn racism. All students should feel safe at school, but they're not condemning the specific hate crime that took place in their hallways that day. Have you had a chance to interview any of the school personnel? Will they give statements or talk to you or any reporters? Yeah, they're not uh, talking to my knowledge. They're not talking to any reporters. They also haven't spoken uh, extensively beyond their statements, even to the Kansas City Star, which is our the largest newspaper here in the city. Uh, they they pretty much just put out their statement and they're also releasing statements to uh, the parents in their community. What what do you know about this suspension? I think that's the part of the story that's troubling. When we look at the video, as, as the professor said, it, it's pretty clear that she was charged, that this white male student charged Bree, and he is the aggressor. So what is she being suspended for? Do you know that? Has anyone been able to share that with you? Uh, I spoke with her parents tonight, and I'm going to be talking more extensively with them tomorrow. I don't know exactly what in the school won't say, actually, for uh, allegedly for privacy reasons. They're not giving any information whatsoever on why both students were suspended. But what we do know is that it's in relation to the zero tolerance rule, which a lot of these schools have, where regardless of if you're the aggressor or if you're the victim, if you are involved in a fight whatsoever, which that's actually one of the demands that the students uh, in the Black Student Solidarity Network, they have six demands that they've made and they want uh, a change and alteration to the zero tolerance rule and an, an exception to include when hate speech is used and for Black students to be able to defend themselves. Um, so, yeah, I well, think... Right- well, I, I'm glad that that's a demand, but... <laughs> That sounds, and I understand that school personnel, their job is to keep all these kids safe. And it's a very difficult thing to do in a high school. But to have a policy that says if a student charges you and hits you, that you, is the policy such that you're supposed to do nothing? Or you risk suspension? Is that the policy? Yeah, I mean, my understanding, and what not only this case, we covered a, another case last, last year with this, a Black student named TJ, who, again, defended himself, but... If you defend yourself and you are involved, if you don't walk away or actively immediately just try to run away from the situation, if you engage in the situation, then from what we have covered, uh, as long as we've been a news outlet, then both students will be charged and oftentimes suspended or expelled. Uh, Yeah, very interesting policy to say the least. Professor, let's go to this N-word. This kid is caught on a camera. Audio, video, using the N-word towards Brie. Then he is so bold. He is so arrogant. He has so much hubris. There is a audio of him saying, I'll go back up there and lay hands on anybody that has anything to say about me, you N-word. So I 
the reporting is that, and Ryan can correct me if I'm wrong, that he has been arrested, he's been charged, uh, and he is going to face some accountability in the criminal court system, probably his age, the juvenile court system, but he is going to be facing some kind of consequences. And he has himself been suspended from school, which is, you know, uh, should go without saying, particularly now that we're hearing from Ryan that he has a history of violence, a history of uh, being involved in other altercations. Obviously, we don't have any... Uh, you know, we don't have any factual basis for that. We're listening to Ryan, and I take you at your word, Ryan. I haven't researched that on my own. But, Professor, when we come forward, I want to ask you about where is all of this hubris coming from with respect to calling Black people what they know to be a derogatory racial slur? Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back, and in this hour, we are covering the racist attack against a 15-year-old Black female student at Shawnee Mission East High School in Kansas City, and the reporter and editor who broke that story, Ryan Sorrell of the Kansas City Defender, is joining us, as well as Black History Professor David Icard. Uh, so, Professor Icard, the, the number of times that this white male student used the N-word on the video that you and I watched that was filmed by Bree's friend. And now Ryan telling us there is an audio on his Instagram page of this same young man, presumably using the N word, threatening to go back up to the school, threatening anyone that would dare challenge him. What is the, where are we in this country that he would feel so empowered, so emboldened to use that word in plain sight, knowing that someone was likely to record it. And then after this whole incident blows up to then use it again. So obviously this is something he just, this is in his daily vocabulary. Let's be clear about that. This is not something that he just came to a week ago, but, but what is happening in our country that a young kid like that would feel so emboldened? Well, uh, again, kudos to uh, brother Ryan for uh, getting in there and getting this story out and getting um, the voices and the perspective of people who often are left out of these particular kind of stories um, where we only end up getting um, kind of one side that kind of props up, um, you know, people who are um, tend to get the benefit of the doubt because they are white in a white supremacist society. I mean, let's just say that what it is. Um, and it's important that, you know, there are, uh, we have video, it's important that we have personal account, and it's important that, you know, this kind of other investigation that uh, the brother has done, particularly the one talking about a history of this type of behavior on this man's, uh, young man's behalf that went unaddressed by the, um, by the school administration. Um, one of the things that we know is that black uh, students, both male, uh, both the women and the and the men, the the, the boys and the girls, uh, statistically are punished at much higher rates and harsher for the same uh, disciplinary actions that their uh, white peers are engaged in. Like we know that there's been many studies to demonstrate. A, a, a stark difference in how disciplinary um, 
punishment is meted out and it is a radically raced uh, discourse. The other thing is also this, the inadequacy of the administration to identify the abuse that is the uh, the language. Again, if there was, uh, again, I'm I'm not trying to engage as I think as Ariva said earlier in some kind of oppression Olympics. Um, but the reality of, of this is, if we were talking about a situation where there was some anti-Semitic slurs, uh, or something of this sort that were used here. Um, there would be a very different type of response. And, and to be clear, um, that there should be a response when any type of group is belittling another group. So the issue is not whether or not, oh, this one group that's being marginalized is getting affirmed and another group isn't. Everybody who is being assaulted in a hate crime discourse should get serious attention and the crime of the verbal assault and the abuse should be treated in the same way that physical assault is. So the fact that this uh, young woman has to herself take it upon herself to engage with this, first of all, this, this, this uh, woman student to say, you're using hate speech, right? And it, and it sounds like from, from what the brother has told us earlier that these things have been reported to the administration. So because the administration has failed to address what the students has brought to it, then the students then feel compelled to have to address this on their own because they're having to deal with this daily abuse, right, um, by these students who then, because their uh, behavior is not being policed by the administration, feel emboldened to continue to use that. The fact that what we're talking about here now is a situation after it has escalated into this physical violence and the the woman who was using the racial slurs that was reported has, from my knowledge, unless again, um, there has been some um, ma materializing of issues that has not been reported, she, she seems to have gotten away scot-free. Right. That's a good so question. Let's ask Ryan. What happened to that person? Do you know, Ryan? The person that Bree was saying, you know, you've been engaged in this negative conduct using racial slurs. What what happened with her? To my, to my knowledge, nothing at all. And to your knowledge, had reports been made to the administration by black students that white students were using racial slurs, racial slurs towards them? Yes. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I'll go ahead. I was going to say, what had the school's response been? Uh, I mean, to my knowledge, it's just something completely inadequate. Students said that it's swept under the rug or that the administration will say that they're going to do something and nothing is ever done about it. It's never addressed. And so ultimately, that's, I think, what, what enables or allows or causes for uh, these events to escalate into what happened. Yeah, you know, I want to ask you, Ryan, if you've heard this, and, and you too, Professor, uh, I'm a civil rights lawyer, and I've been talking to, it's so ironic that this happened, because I've been in conversations with multiple parents, kids ranging from elementary to high school, or who uh, 
in California right now are experiencing something very similar. And in some of these cases, uh, black kids in all white schools or black kids in mixed schools, but predominantly white. And there's this phenomenon going around, I'm being told by these parents, where the school administrators are frustrated, say they don't know what to do because when they interview the kids, the kids say, the white kids say the black kids have given them permission to use the N-word, that it's a hip thing. And if they use it with the last vowel being A versus E, I, I don't know, somehow it's acceptable. Uh, and this pervasive kind of uh, attacks on black students uh, is going unchecked. And what the parents are hearing is pretty much what you said, right? The schools say they don't really know what to do. And so because they don't, quote unquote, know what to do, they're doing very little to nothing. And then something like this happens. But have you heard that riot uh, where uh, someone has said that a white kid was given permission by a black kid to use the N-word? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally went to a predominantly white. I grew up in a white suburb here in Kansas City. And I mean, certain black kids, if you ask me, ones who don't have much sense are the ones who give some of these white kids like the pass to say the N-word. I think that's been happening since I was in school and even before then. But I think in these specific cases, the I don't find that to be an excuse whatsoever for the administration, because whether it's this case or the dozens of other cases, very similar or identical to this case that we have covered, the students the black students themselves have very intentionally tried to take intentional steps to the administration and try to go all of the proper routes. And ultimately the administration has not done, not effectively handled it. And that's what leads to what we saw in the video. No, absolutely. And categorically black kids cannot give white kids permission uh, to defame and demean them. And categorically, these school districts around the country are not doing enough to keep Black kids safe. And it is absolutely no excuse for them to say to a parent, a Black parent, well, Black kids gave these white kids permission. These white administrators, school administrators, no matter what color they are, know that that is absolutely positively unacceptable. And they know the kind of pain and trauma associated with that word. So for them to even suggest that they are somehow absolved of their responsibility because of something that a 10-year-old said to another 10-year-old is absurd. Uh, and we wouldn't hear that in any other context. Well, you know, little Jimmy told me to uh, bring a gun and shoot the school up and the you know, the school says, well, that's OK, because the school gave him the kid gave him permission to do it. So it's a, it's a ridiculous it's a, response. It's the, it's the logics of white supremacy. Yeah. I mean, it's you, I, you it's hold, you. hold that thought, Professor. When we come forward, I want you to break it down for us as only you can do. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. We are back with Ryan Sorrell, who is the editor and founder of the Kansas City Defender and Vanderbilt University professor. Uh, David Icard and Professor Icard, I want you to really help us understand this whole concept that schools are uh, some in some situations relying on as a past when their black students allegedly give their white students an, the past, as we call it, to use the N word. And, and before you you do that, I just want to give Ryan. Uh, I want to really acknowledge what Ryan has done here. Ryan is a very young man, twenty eight years old, who has started this digital outlet to bring to light these kinds of stories. And his outlet actually broke the story on uh, the horrific shooting of Ralph Yarl, 
you know, that was the kid that knocked on the wrong door and was shot uh, because he just was just knocking on the door. So because of that kind of grassroots journalism and being unapologetically black and wanting to share black stories, that's the reason that this story now about this 15 year old girl is starting to get some traction in uh, more legacy or mainstream media. So congratulations again to you, Ryan. Uh, and I couldn't be more pleased to have the esteemed uh, David Eichard here uh, to help us understand what is happening around these issues of race in our schools. So you you were going to tell us about the white supremacy uh, past or this issue of a past, uh, Professor Eichhardt. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me of what uh, Sadia Hartman had, has said in, in her book, Lose Your Mother. And she said, we, we shouldn't presume either the ignorance or the innocence of our white peers, right? In other words, Right. The same kind of logic that, that that applies to everyday situations for them should not somehow be um, abandoned when it applies to us. So, for example, if somehow I have some woman in my life that says it's OK for me to call her the B word, I would not then go into my workspace and just assume because that. Like she said it was okay for me to say it to her, that I could just randomly call my boss and my other colleagues to be word. Like I wouldn't just make that logic. Oh, this was this is okay for me in this kind of playful way to say this. So I could just tra- this translates into every space that I go. That is absurd. Mm-hmm. It's simply absurd. If 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 your Jewish friend, if somebody else said, Oh, it's okay for you to use this particular slur when when it's okay for me i don't i don't know of anybody that would be like oh i'm gonna go and call the president of the university i'm gonna call my colleagues the same slur because right my friend over here said that it's okay i suddenly have a license to be racist to jews a license to be racist to arabs i have a license to be racist to mexicans or right like that particular logic is absurd Mm-hmm. And it and it and it's only not absurd when it comes to anti-blackness. It is only not absurd when it applies to black people. Mm-hmm. Again, this story would be radically different if instead of a black girl that was assaulted by a big white boy, it was a white girl that was assaulted by a big black boy. Right? This would be headline news. Nobody would be talking about um you know, well, you know, the I don't, I don't think, you know, he knew it was right inappropriate to call her the B word before he punched her. I just think that maybe he was confused about when it was appropriate to you. They would be calling for his head. Mm-hmm. And we have to hold people accountable to what they know. And what I would argue is not to even engage in the absurdity of that logic. Oh, absolutely. One thing that really upsets me, Professor, about that and some of the the parents who have come to me personally to express similar things happening to their kids is if you are an administrator and someone tells you that you have a problem in your school, you have done a horrible job of educating these students about the pain uh, and the history of anti-Blackness in this country, whether it's with the Black students or the white students, and you need to be calling into your office those Black students and white students, giving them an education about what that word means and how derogatory it is, because you start there. And then I have parents telling me that 
they're posting pictures of monkey faces with their kids' body on TikTok and other social media platforms. So it doesn't just end with some kind of permission to use the N-word. It does escalate, escalate, escalate. And in, in the case of Bree, into a physical altercation. And in the case of those shoppers uh, in Buffalo, uh, New York, into actually being you know gunned down, losing their lives by a white supremacist who hated Black people. So uh, this notion that schools somehow... Uh, you know, can can hide behind, you know, some comment made by a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old uh, is very troubling. Uh, Ryan, let me ask you, what's the racial make of the school and then of the city? Uh, I'm not sure of the school. I, my guess would be le- like around 5% is what my guess of Black people, but I'm not certain on that. And what about the city? Uh, of, uh, it's a I'm, it's a small town, right? Outside of Kansas City. Uh, yeah, Shawnee Mission. It's definitely also very white. Uh, it's like it's close to another city called Olathe. Um, all of these, pretty much any of these suburbs outside of the Kansas City area, are largely uh, predominantly white places. And I'm reading in the news that the young man has been arrested and charged with some kind of assault charge. Now, did that happen after the protest or was he immediately charged? Do you know? Uh, that happened, I believe, after their walkout that they did, uh, which was on like Monday or Tuesday. I believe it happened after that, but before this most recent protest. Mm-hmm. And so where and where does this the story stand now? He's a, he's been arrested. Do you know if he's in car, in custody or he's been let uh, out? Do you know if he was I ever in custody? Been, yeah, I believe he's been released now. Okay. Um, the students, I, I would actually like to just read off a few of the demands from the oh, students. Oh, please share them. Black Student Solidarity Network, because I believe I think that they're very powerful. But the first one says that they want a formal apology and admission of wrongdoing. It says the first demand is for a formal public apology from Shawnee Mission East High School, acknowledging their error and suspending Bree, who was a victim of a hate crime. This action highlights the broader issue of failure to protect black students in the face of racial violence. Number two, to an immediate expulsion of the racist attacker. The protesters or we, we demand the immediate and permanent expulsion of the student responsible for the attack. This demand underscores the zero tolerance approach towards racially motivated violence in educational institutions. Number three, revision of the zero tolerance policy, which is uh, what I was mentioning earlier that they want. Uh, They urge a revision of the zero tolerance policy advocating for the rights of black students to defend themselves against racial hate speech without facing unfair punishment. Number four, they want mandatory cultural competency for administrators. Uh, a call for mandatory cultural competency exams for all administrators, failure to pass. These exams should result in dismissal, ensuring that those in power are equipped to create and maintain a a safe, inclusive environment. Uh, Number five, they want implementation of uh, 12 recommendations that were proposed in 2020. And then the last one is they want transparent accountability measures uh, of to establish clear, transparent measures to hold students and staff accountable for racist behavior, including public reporting of incidents and subsequent actions. Uh, So I think I just wanted to bring that up because these students are uh, much further along, at least than what people, you know, when I was in high school, we didn't have demands that uh, were that, 
you know, for our coherent and that powerful. You're right. We got to give the students, Dr. Eichhardt, a lot of credit. These are high school students coming together in a nonviolent way, saying we want to be respected. We want our spaces to be respected. We want our bodies to be respected. And we want the adults in the room to do something. We're running out of time, but Dr. Eichhardt, give us some words of encouragement about, you know, how we as a country are going to move forward. uh, And hopefully one day we won't have to do this work. Yeah. I, you know, I wish I could say one day we wouldn't have to do this work, but I certainly find encouragement and i'm glad um our our young uh brother there who's doing all this important work took the time to really read what these young people have put together um the youth are guiding the way they've always guided the way whether we're talking about the black power movement civil rights movement you know black feminist movement it's always the young people they're fearless they have a fierce belief in justice they're tireless, um, and they're energetic. And um, so when you see them on the front lines, being able to articulate in the ways very clear and concise and compelling what they need in order to be treated as the citizens they are, that's a lot of optimism um, for the future because they are our future. So to see them respond in this politically responsible way galvanize their power and their numbers to make their voices heard. I think we should take a a sense of pride and optimism from that. Great words to close us out on. Thank you, Dr. Eichhardt. Always uh, glad to be in places and spaces with you. Your brilliance is much appreciated. And Ryan, Sorrow, keep doing what you're doing. Keep yes, sir, brother. Keep Sorrel. doing that work. That's important. Yes, keep doing it. We appreciate you. We see you. And anything we can do to lift you up, we are here for you. And this is such an important story. And we can't wait to follow you to see uh, how it ends. And our best to Bree and her family. She should not be suspended from school. Hopefully she gets back uh, into the classroom and continues and gets the help that she needs to recover from this kind of trauma. Again, thank you so much for your work.